Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hello and welcome to Arn. This is Paul Bromwell and today I'm not joined by Double A. Uh, but we have a special treat for all of you, and uh, I'm really excited about this treat that we have. But this treat is happening because our man, uh, the Enforcer, is down and out right now with a bad back issue. And uh, he was unable to record a fresh episode with us, but not to fear because we have fresh content for all of you, which I'll get to in a minute. But I just want to say for those of you, uh, thoughts and prayers and, and, and things of that nature for Arm, please, he would appreciate that right now. He's had a bad back all week long. We tried to record a few days ago and then just tried to make a go of it. And uh, he's really dealing with some, with some pain there in, in his back area. And so he's going to see the doctor tomorrow. We said, buddy, take care of yourself. You're the priority. In the meantime, we have a little treat for all of you. Some time ago, uh, when uh, the pod father, the king of podcasts, wrestling podcasts, Conrad was still hosting the show, he and Arn sat down for a bonus piece of content for our ad-free show members uh, with Tully Blanchard. And uh, they shared stories of their time together in the NWA and, and WCW as horsemen, uh, what led them to, to move to New York and be a part of the WWF and, and leaving the WWF and all that good stuff. This is a, a great piece of content that no one has heard outside of the ad-free show community. We're bringing that to you this week for all of you to listen in on that. It's going to be a real treat, I promise you. And in the meantime, let's continue to cheer on our champ and send him those well wishes. And he'll be back in the seat in no time. He wanted me to let you all know uh, that he's uh, going to make sure he does everything he can to be back in his chair where we can continue that walk through his career. But in the meantime, enjoy this special episode with Conrad Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, the founder of the Four Horsemen. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm awesome. How do, am I getting it down? You're getting Conrad? it down, baby. You're getting it down. And I'm so glad that we're able to get down with your old friend, Mr. Tully Blanchard. Tully, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Guys, it's my pleasure, and uh, I'd do anything that aren't ass. Well, well we're going to th- push that to the limit today. <laughs> Things have really changed over the last 25 years. What the hell? I'm getting set up, I can assure you. Of that. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, I'm so delighted to have you both. Gosh, there's so much to talk about today, Mr. Blanchard. I don't know. I don't think. Please call could. me Tully. Okay, Tully. I, I, don't, I don't think you have done too much of this with Arn, right? I think you guys, once upon a time, appeared on Chris Jericho's podcast, and that's probably it, right? Yes. Yeah, we have, have not been uh, together on an interview or, or TV show or anything until uh, we uh, appeared on uh, AEW, and, and uh, this is the second podcast. How cool is that after all these years you guys are getting to work together again with AEW? Well, it's, it's still a little surreal for me because I was gone completely from the wrestling business for 25 years and, uh, to now be back in and on television and, uh, you know, getting to, to see Arn every couple of weeks and sit down and chat with him and kind of the way we used to do things when we'd been on those long car rides. And, uh, so things back and forth and, and, uh, it's, it's really, it's really neat. It is neat. And, uh, I guess we should start about, start talking about how you guys first met. The first time I saw you guys together was, was with Jim Crockett promotions. Is that the first time y'all ever bumped into each other? As far as you recall? Yeah, that's when, when, when Arn came to work for Crockett, um, in uh late i think it was late 84 uh early 85 early 85 mark early 85 but i didn't i was gonna i was gonna say not to interrupt you i did meet you one time when i first started and i was working for watts and you and gino came over and did the dome show in 82 oh really and i just it was just uh hey i was just an underneath guy with three months experience and it was nice to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Go back. I wasn't rude. Was I? Nope. I went back, sat in the corner and, and uh, minded my own business, but it was, well, was I probably time. went in the other corner. Uh, <laughs> that was the first time I'd, I'd actually met you, but spending any time with you at all was with Crockett for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when you and Oli were tag teaming and then, uh, uh, and then we moved on in and you named the four horsemen. So, and then history's proven that. So yeah, history was made, man. Let's, let's talk about that. I guess. Was that all just from your perspective, totally a, a happy accident, the formation of the horsemen? Oh, it was, it was absolutely, uh, uh, I mean, it was, it was crazy because you had Ole and Arn and flair was their cousin so you know it was a family deal and it was my only entrance to the whole deal was i was wrestling dusty so when when they wanted to have all those eight-man tag matches and dusty was in them i was very fortunate to be the well we're putting tully in there so, uh, since I was the only one outside the family, 
that was part of it, it was uh, uh, probably a double accident for me. What about from your perspective, Arn? I mean, it's pretty special to see the horsemen come together and know what they accomplished, and, and you famously named them. I guess to catch some of our younger listeners up, the idea was Blair was sort of uh, a cousin of the Anderson clan, right? And then Tully just happened to have JJ as his manager, and ta-da, here we are. It was, it was one of those rare things that we were all just put together on a, on a promo. Now I was the rookie. I was just trailing, listening, eyes open, ears open, mouth shut at that time anyway. Uh, and I was just looking around and I'm going, God almighty, there's Tully Blanchard who was positioned as top heel in the company already. Of course, Ole Anderson you know, it, it, learning from him and being with him was whether people believe it or not was a honor and a learning experience. I, I mean, I learned so much as far as credibility and believability from Ole, and uh, they put us on that promo. And people ask me all the time, you know, how did you come up with that? I mean, has that something you had been thinking about, or is it something from the office? You know, it was. I do not know to this day. It's just I was looking at us, and I was in awe. You know, I was sitting there with my my jaw on the ground in awe of who I was out there on that promo with. And it just popped in my, into my head, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse and uh, the destruction and, you know, how, how the promo went down and all that. But it was purely accidental. I mean, it really was because no one in the office said anything to us about it. I just, it just popped in my head and I threw it out there and we concluded the interview and Tony Giovanni walked right up in my grill and he said, Jesus, Arn, you just named you guys. And I went, okay, yeah, maybe, yes. And uh, I don't remember when this started, but I bet you it was within a week or two of that promo. Tully, do you remember? I don't remember when that happened either, but the, the thing that is the, the, the test that you the litmus test is the fact that from 1985 to now, you can still put Arn, Tully, Rick, and Barry at an autograph show, and the line is out the stinking door 30 years after the fact. And I don't think any other group can do that. And it's simply because when Arn put the, put the, the spark on the fire, the fans ran with it. It was something that they wanted. Uh, when they started having those, those uh, signs and holding them up at, at ringside, and four horsemen and four horsemen this and four horsemen that. And it was it was the I, I don't know that it can ever be duplicated, but it was the most fun time in this business that I had experienced. Oh, for sure. What's fun about it too, is it didn't come from a writer's room. You know, it was just organic. It just happened. And it feels like a lot of 
the magic that happened under Dusty Rhodes' watch was that way. We've talked a little bit with Arn about how when he first came into Crockett, he met with Dusty, and Dusty's instructions were, go get over. Uh, what can you tell us about <laughs> working with Dusty? What are your memories of, of coming in and working with him? Well, the only the only real thing other than just talking was when he first came in, uh, it was an instantaneous fire. And um, he called me into a private little meeting and he told me, he said, you've been a booker before. And uh, he said, what would you do to get this thing going? And I said, I said, you got to put the best against the best. That's, that's the way you get any place going. Right. And uh, so he agreed and he said, well, Wahoo wants to wrestle me. And I said, well, I said, that's, that's fine. But I said, if it was me doing it, and it's the only time ever that I ever jumped myself up in there. I said, I put Wahoo against Flair and let them go beat the crap out of each other. And I said, I put me against you because I can make you look really, really, really good. And I was fortunate that Dusty did that. And over the next four years, you know, whenever things were going down, we did some sort of a thing where, you know, we had an I quit match or, or the, or not the I quit match, but the first blood match or the win baby doll match or whatever the case might be. And those were all a, a very successful period until Arn and I went to the WWE. Working with Dusty Arn is, uh, has got to be a bit of a treat, especially because, you know, you said it was some of the most fun you ever had, uh, but now it's come full circle. You're getting to work with Cody. Did you ever think that, you know, your career would really just become parallel with the Rhodes family as long as it has? Well, you know, before we skip over, you know, how we got from, from there to here, I think it's important that we, we go back and realize a couple things. It's like, uh, from that promo going down and saying full horse, or like I said, I don't remember if it was a week, but it was probably no more than two weeks. Again, this thing popped in my head and we started doing it. And within a two week time slot, we went from never being together with any association other than the story with the Andersons or Flair being family to two weeks later, that crowd that was still down business was, was, had not came up yet. It had not caught fire yet, but there was just some, some inklings and some things that people were doing that the four horsemen deal right out of the shoot. I mean, it just flamed up. And very, you've never probably seen guys that were just put together that didn't come in together as a team or anything that in two or three weeks' time, it was already catching fire. And that's an amazing, amazing accomplishment if you think about it. But if you look around, our audience was – you know, they knew who Ole Anderson was. They knew who Tully Blanchard was. Tully had been there for a little bit and had already staked his claim in the company. 
you know, and Ric Flair and this rookie standing out there who looked like Ole had to, you know, was trying to work like Ole a little bit and you implement some of his, his style, you know, to just suddenly be grouped together, I guess that's why it worked. They, once they stuck us together, there was no turning back. And uh, it just built and built. And with, with JJ, I mean, the thing that benefited everybody from the fans to the baby faces to us was the fact that no matter who they stuck that mic in front of, and we had no set order of how we were going to go. It was just somebody would step up to that mic and it, you there was nothing lost on any one guy that did the talking when it was said and done, everything was covered and it was covered in, in a, in a very eloquent and, uh, and vicious way, just depending on which guy you handed the mic to. And it just immediately caught fire. And to this day, you know, think about that three weeks time. Right. Amazing. It's also interesting to think, you know, cause I think most of us, you know, fans listening to this, we think this horseman run was, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. It's really about three years, right? I mean, yep. From when you first called it the four horsemen to when y'all left to go work for Vince. It's only about three years. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Oh boy. Yeah. And, and you got to remember Conrad, a lot of those, you know, Carolina towns when this thing first started, we were going to you know, weekly or bi-weekly three or four times a month. We were going to some of these towns, which is, which is amazing because every week you got to bring them something different because they, the audience remembers, they remember, you know, what the structure of a match would have been. They may not remember everything or even most of it, but if you go out there and you don't change it up and you don't, you know, give them a, a change in your story or change in your opponent or change in the, the style of match you have, you know, they'll know. So it, it was demanding and it was challenging, but what it made you learn how to do more than anything, you don't hear this being emphasized. You had to learn how to work and work with everybody and anybody from different skill levels. Uh, it was that it wasn't one of those things that you might consider doing. If you wanted to survive, much less thrive, you know, you better learn how to work. And uh, we all, you know, yeah, you and sorry, aren't I? But you know, you, you talk about that and, and talk about the skill levels of a people, because back in those days on Saturday morning, when we'd wrestle some of those guys that were coming over from Alabama, the skill level was zero. And you had to go out there and, and still have a decent match so that people would watch your TV show. And then in the house shows, you had to, uh, wrestle Robert and Ricky and Magnum and Dusty and, uh, you know, even when we had some of the heel matches against the Midnight Express, uh, those kind of guys, and and you you had to make it all believable, and it was it was very taxing and trying. Let's talk a little bit more about the Horseman days in regards to Ole. I don't think we talk enough about Ole. Uh, Ole was obviously an old school guy, the former tag team partner of of not only Arn Anderson but. Lars before him and Minnesota wrecking crew and owned a territory, an old school, rough and tumble 
gruff wrestling guy. And it feels like, you know, because of the shoot interview era, or maybe because he's not active on social media, I don't know. I don't think he gets enough credit for his contributions. What say you, Tully? Um, I, I, he was part of the horseman thing for maybe what six months, Arn. Mm, first go around, yes. And 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 he told us coming in, it was almost. Uh, he let everybody know there was no mystery that. His son was wrestling at UTC and he was hell bent on when wrestling season came around, he was going to take some time off and go watch his, his son wrestle. That was something that was a discussion with the office. It certainly was not a discussion with me. You might've been privy to it, but, but I knew that that was already out there. Uh, but it's one of those things, well, hey, that's six months down the road. A lot can change. And, and as that thing flamed up like it did and got so hot, you know, it's like when Ole said, okay, you know, wrestling season's here. I'm, I'm going to take some time off. In those days, you wouldn't have dared taken time off for a number of reasons. We're starting to make money. We were getting over big time. And if you, if you stepped out of that slot, somebody was going to step in and you may never get it back. A lot of variables. Arm, we're going to pause and talk about our favorite sponsor once again this week. That's right. It's Blue Chew time. And they're here to make sure you're delivering that spine buster, putting that spine to the pine every single time the right way and making sure you're prepared to do so. And they have a special offer for the listeners of the Arn Show. Isn't that right, Arn? Arn? Well, guys, Arn's not around right now. I think he's taking care of business, if you know what I mean. And I want to make sure you have the opportunity to take care of business, too. Guys, Blue Chew is an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office. We talk about it every single week. No weird conversations. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. And remember the biggest perk and benefit of this. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. So listen, go to bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. They're just going to ask you a few questions. Make sure you're good. Your health's in order and you can take it. And once they verify that, it's going to be at your door within days. All done online. Very easy. And if you don't like swallowing pills, no big deal. The tablets are chewable. Very easy to consume. So give it a try, guys. Listen, we hear a lot of folks that listen to our show that have reached out to us uh, directly through our show DMs and said, guys, you are spot on with what you've been talking about with Blue Chew. We have a lot of fun with it on the show, but I'm telling you, it takes away the worries, the anxiety, the stress, and helps you perform the way you want to perform, like a Hall of Famer like Arn Anderson. So there you go. Check it out. BlueChew.com can make sure you're able to perform at your very best every time you get the opportunity to have fun. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code ARN. That's right. Just those three letters, A-R-N, at checkout. You just pay $5 shipping. That's it. BlueChew.com, promo code ARN to receive your first month free. Once again, go to BlueChew.com for more details and safety info. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Oh yeah, but the Oli was a, was a tremendous star. Uh, when him and Gene, I mean, you, you just put those guys uh, on the on the card back in in uh, uh, the seventies, sixties, seventies. I mean, it was it was big business uh, there, and you know it, we all gleaned off of Oli just in the dressing room things that he he would say, things that he would do in the ring, the same thing, and uh, you know I think that that Arn and I were a little bit we could think outside of a box a little bit more with with some of the the baby faces and 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 stuff like that 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 we had to perform with uh i we we adapted more to our opponents whereas our opponents had to adapt more to Oli. would i be safe in saying that yeah you would and, and Oli made you earn his niche, if you want to put in a capsule what Ole Anderson was to the industry, this is my take on it, watching it from the apron first firsthand. He didn't give you anything. Anything you got in a match with Ole, you had to earn it. And that, I mean, you had to chop him down. My God. And you literally had to half-ass out-wrestle him to get an advantage on him. And you could see that the audience could see that. And it was, it was like from the second he locked up with a guy, it was a struggle and you felt that. And, and there were a lot of guys that, that had to uh, step outside, like you said, Tully of their style and work more to his style. If they were going to make it competitive, because he was going to bring it to you. He wasn't changing either. (laughs) No, he was not. And there was no room for error. Uh, he uh, he stuck with his style, and uh, and you're right, him and Gene. I, I was it was never lost on me. I was given a gift. I was an Anderson before I was a Horseman, and I knew that Gene and uh, and Oli, you know. And I have no, you know, I don't talk about Lars because I never saw those guys work as a team and I don't know anything about it and I don't want to be dumb saying something that I have no knowledge of, but Gene and Oli were as good a team and as over a team as probably there was in the business. And I stepped into that spot. It was a gift for me. And I knew that I was just a rookie. I had no business being in that spot with the amount of experience that I had. And then when you guys stepped into that, that picture, I mean, I was just like walking around with my mouth gaped open because all top guys in the industry, not just in the company, but in the industry, there's Ric Flair, there's Tully Blanchard, there's JJ Dillon. It's like Ole Anderson. It's like, my God, how did I get here? Yeah. But one thing, Arn, that, that, that you may not have had the time experience, but we could all see talent personified in you. And you were an absolute sponge learning everything. So it was, it, you fit in absolutely perfectly. 
Well, I appreciate that. I know that I tried my best to just listen and learn and watch. And uh, I learned something, and I mean a ton of something, from every one of you guys. Every one of you. Well, let's talk about uh, another member of the Horseman. There was a fellow running around back then named Ric Flair that uh, we, we, if we're going to talk about the Horseman, we probably got to talk about. Give us some Ric Flair memories, uh, Tully, uh, your favorite Ric Flair stories, either in the ring or out of the ring. <laughs> I thought you said we weren't going to get dicey. We don't have to, which is why I left it open-ended. I'll go wherever you want to go. Well, fortunately for me, I have forgot most of the Ric Flair stories, and it's kind of just a, a blur in the past. Um, but it is, I can, I can remember, uh, when they were grooming, grooming flair to be the world champion. And he came down to San Antonio, uh, to wrestle, uh, a couple spots when my dad and I had, had our own territory. And, uh, you know, Rick, Rick was a guy like Arn. I mean, you could just see the natural talent and flamboyance and uh from the first time they stepped in the ring when they were still relatively uh newcomers to the profession and you could just see the the excitement that they could generate with fans and uh flair was flair was a member of the horsemen and it was not rick flair with leading the three horses we were all equal parts of the four horsemen which i think is a unique situation whereas a lot of other teams either were led by the manager or led by one of the guys or or something like that but it was you know we could stand alone on the u.s championship or when arn and i were the world tag team champions you know, that kind of stuff were, it was just as strong as Flair being the world champion. And, uh, that was, uh, one of the unique things of, about the group when we were put together. Arn, do you think you guys would have ever been tag, uh, a tag team, you and Tully, if it weren't for the horsemen? I mean, at different times, you were both single stars holding individual singles titles, but then I think through the horsemen, you guys became a tag team and obviously it became a tag team that so many teams, even to this day, pattern their style after would it have happened without the four horsemen? Uh, I believe everything happens because of timing. Timing in this business is everything. And sometimes it's just be it not being booked and walking in the back door and having your gear with you. And some guy gets shows up and he's got 105 temperature and can't wrestle and you get a chance to, Hey man, you got your gear and a guy gets a break like that. I truly believe us being on that interview that day was the launching pad of something great. And if that promo had never happened, then that thought would have never happened in my head. And, and who knows? I don't think so. It, it was meant to be that we're on that promo together that day and it just jailed. It just worked. And, uh, I think that the key component, there was two key components to us. Rick style 
was Rick Stahl. He's the consummate showman entertainer. Tully Blanchard was a technician that was very unlikable to the fans. It was what he was one of those guys that not one person in that building could stand him, and they wanted him to get his ass kicked. Ole Anderson was the real tough guy of the group, and I was somewhere trying to blend my style, bring the action that Tully Blanchard brought to the ring or to a match, and blend it in with a little Ole Anderson, and, and hey, not only that, you want to kick my ass, you're going to have to kick my ass because there ain't going to be no easy path to get there. And we were all so different that you could take pieces out. You mentioned earlier about working with Dusty. If if Tully and Magnum went off to headline uh, one of the towns that Flair was out traveling, defending the world championship somewhere else, they could send me and Dusty to one of the other towns, and it was just business as usual. The guy was over. No matter what you say, he was a huge star. And going out wrestling him, to me, I was just, you know, I was, I'll tell you, I was starstruck. It translated to adrenaline for me being in the ring with Dusty Rhodes. And I could figure out 50 ways to bounce off of that elbow. And And that was the key to getting a match with Dusty over, man. You just fed him and fed him and fed him. And you finally got him down and the people went ape shit. You didn't keep him down long and he kicked your ass again and he beat you. And it absolutely worked and nobody doubted it. And it was glorious. And it worked every day. <laughs> every every day, whichever one of us it was. Foolproof. Or if it was all of us. Or all of us. <laughs> you could pull up. So, I know I know there's more than one shot of all four of us standing there with it, Dusty hitting us all four with the elbow. <laughs> Tell you, in your opinion, is that like the most classic Crockett rivalry? I mean, when Crockett's business was at its peak, it was like uh, Dusty Rhodes versus the Horseman, was it not? Um, yeah, in in some form of that. But like Arn was talking about, you know, when I was doing the thing leading up to the I Quit match. Uh, with Magnum, you know, that thing was just as, just as hot as, as oh, anything sure. else. And, and then you had dusty, but then they were, they were tag team partners at times. So you could, you could have a six man or you'd have a tag team match, uh, like that. And, you know, it was just the, the variety worked. So you didn't have to just have the same two guys wrestle all the time. You know, and it wasn't just Dusty and Flair, and it wasn't just me and Magnum, or or you know, uh, Ole and Arnie against uh, Rock and Roll, or or whatever the case might be. We interchanged so well, and uh, like Arn put it so well, that we all had different different uh, uh, fortes and strong points that they all just meshed together because we 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 could adapt a lit a little bit and, and be the, the, we could be the lubrication between the joints. Right. If that makes any sense. Uh, let's talk about Jim Crockett. 
this is uh, a legendary promoter, you know, multiple generations. He's now going to be, uh, you know, top banana in the NWA. And I guess right behind Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation. Or was that the most fun creatively you had? Was it as financially rewarding as it had been before Crockett? Or was that, you know, the, the peak of your career before, you know, you guys had an impasse in 88, would you say, Tully? Um, well, the, the wrestling business changed because of the superstation. Right. And the, the thing that, without getting off on a rabbit trail, or diving down a rabbit hole, all the, the smaller territories were affected by what went on on the superstation. Right. The farther west, they didn't get affected quite as bad because of the time changes, and they didn't have the 605. But east coast and central time, uh, 605 and 505, it was just unbelievable. And the thing that the smaller territories did that was probably a mistake on their part is they would bring uh, a match in like Dusty against me. And what that would do would say, these guys are off national television because we always talked about being on national television. And these are the big time guys on national television and here's their match versus, uh, and they put them on a main event above their other guys in the local territory. And I think that ultimately killed them all because if they would have brought dusty in and wrestled their top heel, you would have made their, their people up on the same level. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I mean, I I brought I can remember one time you, I brought Oli and Tommy Rich in. Well, Oli wrestled Wahoo, and I wrestled Tommy Rich into Southwest Championship Wrestling be, to elevate us. I didn't want to be, you know, have Oli and Tommy Rich wrestling each other. Uh, so anyway, and then as as you did that, then Crockett took over all these territories. I don't know the the whether he bought them or what happened, but now you become the national uh, television forte for wrestling, medium for wrestling, and then with the USA Network, the WWE, which I don't, you probably know, I, I think Arn does, but Southwest Championship Wrestling that my dad and I put together was the first wrestling show on USA Network. Wow. And uh, and we were too small and didn't have enough money between the two of us to pay our TV bill. And then Vince went and paid the bill and got the TV time and has been pro pretty profitable with it <laughs> since then. <laughs> It worked out. Yes. And, uh, but now you've got the two companies that both have national TV shows. And, uh, then I think in the, in the nineties, which I was gone, uh, but the, the companies, the TV, the, the business changed because the TVs 
became the product rather than the house shows. Does that make sense? It does. Let's talk. And I hope bit. I answered your question. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit more about the Jim Crockett days, but specifically with the horseman, you know, when, when Oli's out, you guys need a new member. Barry Wyndham becomes the guy. And there was a, a no, no, that Luger was the guy first. Right, right, right. Well, Luger felt like, uh, I don't know. Didn't feel like he fit in as well. Would you agree with that? Like just character wise, I'm not saying as a personality. Arn, you answer that question. Uh, it was real crystal clear to me. The guy looked better than everybody else. When, uh, Ole went home and he, uh, that was a good angle with him and Tully when he Tully called his son, a snot nosed kid or something. And, and Ole whacked him. They got with Ole. I mean, Ole was over. We were all over. Uh, and he did his deal and he went, you know, he disappeared and Luger was brought in and Hey guys, you know, you guys, if anybody can teach this guy, the business, I mean, look at him. And, and if you take it on point value, yes, here was the difference. <clears throat> now we had to all circle the wagons. And if Lex was in a match with us, any of us, and they kept him in tags and six mans to, to protect him other than spending the majority of our time getting the baby faces over. We had to spend a lot of the time in a match making sure Luger got over. And it's a whole different scheme of things where now we're out there having to get our ass handed to us so Luger can step through the ropes, take a guy's head off, and, and get the heat. And it was the only way it would have worked. And I don't think as Lex got more and more popular, all he heard were cheers and boos and female screams because the girls love him. I mean, my God, look at the guy. Uh, but I think he had a different plan for himself all along, which is fine. But unbeknownst to us, you know, that plan was to be a lead babyface, And uh, it's not that he put any less work into being a part of us. It's just you cannot take Ole Anderson out and put Lex Luger in and have the same dynamic. The skill sets are totally different. And the game and the one thing that I left out earlier, besides all of our styles being different, we went into every match knowing our goal was to number one, get the baby faces over, number two, get the match over. And it meant being very uh generous a lot of nights, even overly generous. But once you get over, you can reach down and pull a guy up you know, in a match or in an angle or something, but you got to get over first. And I think the biggest thing was Lex's heart was not in being a heel. It was not in being part of the horseman. He wanted a single spotlight and uh, eventually he got there. Arm, we're going to take a quick time out from this podcast to talk a little bit about spider grip. Yes, you've heard Arn and I talk about it before, and we're here to share the joy and the opportunity of Spider Grip one more time with you. Listen, it helps keep your phone in your hand right where it belongs. The phone grip that won't slip, as our buddy David Britt says. 
You can use it to prop up your phone if you want to sit and watch a video, use it as a stand. It rotates 360 degrees and it also will snap in place and lay flat. So if you want to put it in your pocket, your purse, whatever is easy, it's so functional and so user-friendly. No more unfortunate drops in all the wrong places. No more missed opportunities for pics and videos. Yes, it's the holiday season. What I'm telling you and what Arm wants me to share with you is you guys need to grab these for stocking stuffers great stocking stuffer gifts and you can do that by going to spidergrip.com that's s-p-i-i-d-e-r-g-r-i-i-p.com that's two eyes and spider and two eyes and grip and use discount code arn at checkout and receive 30 percent off and free shipping you're not going to get a better deal than that our guy david's headquartered in charlotte north kakalaka right in the same area as Arn. And uh, you want to talk about the old stomping grounds and glory days of Jim Crockett promotions. That's where it's all at. And here comes another history-making product with Spider Grip. Man, Walmart is now backing this product. You can find it at Walmart online, and it's going to be in their retail stores next year, but there's no reason for you to wait. They've been co-founded, as I said, invented by the recording artist and entrepreneur, David Britt. Also, Kate Bosworth, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull, all invested and co-owned in this company. This is a can't-miss product, a can't-miss solution, and I'm telling you, won't be disappointed that you grabbed one for you, your wife, your kids, your family, aunts, uncles, grandparents. The Spider Grip is transforming how folks use their cell phone and make sure they don't drop it, misplace it, and makes it easier. No stress on that pinky finger when trying to hold it for those perfect pictures. So one more time, check it out. That's two eyes and spider, two eyes and grip, spidergrip.com. Use discount code ARN at checkout and receive 30% off and free shipping. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. With a tremendous angle making Barry Wyndham the fourth member of the horseman, which was uh, genius. Is that a Dusty Rhodes idea to the best of your recollection? I think it would have probably had to be, but I would have think he would have asked us what we thought about Barry. It just seems like that's something that would have happened. And uh, if you've been, uh, we had all been in the ring with Barry Tully probably more than any of us, but with his skill set, you know, swapping Luger for Barry Wyndham from a match standpoint, there was no no comparison. Yeah, no comparison. Well, and and what what happened, Conrad? There is the dynamics of the four of us changed because when it, when it first started, Ole and Arn were the tag team, and Flair and I were singles, and when Barry came in because his talent level was up equal to flair or even surpassed flair. Then that made him and flair, the two singles. And it just, it put me and Arn in the situation that, uh, we became the tag team and, and that's how, and 
you know, it, I mean, it was, I think time can tell, but I mean, we were a pretty good tag team. <laughs> I, I think right here is a good spot because it, if you don't do it, it'll get forgotten, but it's absolutely true. The one dynamic that benefited every team that worked for Jim Crockett was the rock and roll express. Yes, sir. You stepped through those ropes and had a match with those guys. If you couldn't get pure, unadulterated, come over the rail, get in the ring heat with those guys, then you couldn't get heat. And every team they worked with was better the next day for having worked with them. And I, I know they don't get enough credit, but they made, just like on the other side of the ball, we made everybody we worked with, they did exactly the same thing. Ricky and Robert were phenomenal. And it didn't matter who you booked them with, send them to any town. They drew a ton of money, too. Oh, gosh. They were they were a, a phenomenal team. And I don't know if there ever has been or before or since. But in Greensboro, we wrestled those guys for an hour inside a cage match, which cage matches are not supposed to go 60 minutes. And uh, the the people were just as excited at the first as they were at the end. The Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Express, Tully, who did you think you had better matches with? Not just as a fan watching, who, who did you enjoy more, but in the ring, who was more fun to work against? Because... When you well, guys got uh, going in 88, I think a lot of fans thought, man, heel versus heel. This is like a whole new world here. The uh, Arn and Tully versus the Midnights. And then it got cut short. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But did you enjoy your matches against a super baby face like, uh, you know, Ricky and Robert or the heel Midnight Express better? Well, it, it is the, the Midnights were, were awesome guys and, and a heel match is a different dynamic. But I mean, to to go out and beat up Ricky Morton and have Gibson come in and come beat you up is uh, it doesn't get any better than that. No argument for me. Uh, all time greats. It's a shame that uh, both teams aren't in the WWE Hall of Fame, but I'm sure they will be soon enough. Let's talk about that fallout though that led to uh, to you guys going to work for Vince. Uh, of course, we're we're just getting started with the whole Midnight Express angle, but I know that the WWF has really done a number on Jim Crockett Promotions, counter-programming their pay-per-views and things like that. So Arn and I have talked a lot on the show about how there were just some financial things that were promised that weren't actually delivered, and you guys had had enough and said, okay, that's it. And uh, I think you went and met with uh, with Vince McMahon. What can you tell me about your your frustration with Jim Crockett promotions that ultimately said, okay, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. We should see if we can get another deal here. Well, I mean, basically that was it. it you know, it, the thing that, that, uh, you know, we were, we were being used and abused. Wrestling fans are still watching, but I mean, we're having to give in every match as Arn's already talked about. And, they're they're negotiating for Turner to buy the company and they're giving contracts out and guaranteed contracts and stuff like that. 
and they and they left out Arn and I, and uh, which was pretty much of a tactical error. Uh, and so we had the opportunity to go uh, and fly up privately and 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 meet with Vince and. Uh, you know, we went to his house and, and we didn't talk dollars. I don't, I don't think we did. I don't remember it if we did. Um, but that we would get a push or whatever, and that we could do whatever. And then, uh, we were being interviewed as key employees with the, the Turner people. And in my bluntness, the guy was asking me questions and they told me to tell the truth. So I did. And, uh, I made a few comments about some of the network, some of the markets that we were losing ratings in. And I said, this is why we're losing ratings. And uh, Crockett called me on the phone and told me that, that I wasn't loyal. And so they kicked me off the airplane. Was that Jim or David who made the call? Oh, Jim. Okay. Uh, and uh, we were in Houston, Texas. And um, they were passing out next week's who's on the plane and who's booking sheet. And I, I, <laughs> I looked at it and my name wasn't on the, on the plane list. And <laughs> I, I, I think I snapped. Arn would be a much better person to tell the, uh, cause he was <laughs> right there watching. And I just, I think I, I don't know if I had a temper tantrum or whatever. I just said, Okay, I'm done. I quit. Uh, do you want the belts tonight or tomorrow night in Philadelphia? And I was done. And I didn't expect Arn to come with me, but I was done. So to, to recap, you felt uh, that you had been booked unfairly, uh, that they, had, they were taking advantage of you, and you, you're putting everybody over every night. Maybe you'd been slided on a payoff. We've detailed that on our show in the past. And uh, now with seemingly there's a life vest coming for the Crockett's. They're passing out guaranteed contracts to other teams and other managers. And you guys don't get that opportunity. So you feel slighted again. And then you kicked off the plane and that's enough. You had had enough. <laughs> I didn't need to be spanked. Right. <laughs> And I think Aaron tells the story that when you guys come back from meeting with Vince, you, uh, you go give notice to dusty and, uh, drop the belts that night to the midnights. Is that right? Tully? Well, I, that was the night before in Houston with wh what I said. Okay. And I didn't know that Arn was going to go the, with me. The next uh, morning, the next morning, Tully is when we got up, I called Darso. He called me back. They put two plane tickets for us, and we got up that morning after flying in from Houston to, to Philly. We got up the next morning and uh, flew up to Vince's. That was okay. the time frame, and we met out by the pool. We did discuss money, not 
he didn't promise us what we would make, but he asked what we make prior. And he said, Oh, no problem. I could, I'll certainly do better than that. Was, was one of the things he said, we flew back to Philly, went in that night when it was time to get there and, uh, turned in our notice. And it was me supporting my, you know, my partner, you know, and there were so many things that had snowballed everything from, you know, if you go back to Houston that night, we had a, a dark match with the Midnight Express, went out there for 20 minutes, tore the joint down. I come back through the curtain. Was it two or three minutes? Jimmy comes over and says, uh, was it Jimmy? Somebody came over and said, hey, you got to work again. You were Steve Williams. Four minutes, you know, Williams over. So I called Jimmy in there. I said, what, what's going on? What? what my being punished or he said, Hey, I'm Arn, I'm just, uh, going with the flow here. And, uh, that was abuse to me. I think it shed on, it shed on me. Not that I could beat Steve Williams. That's, I couldn't beat Steve Williams with a flamethrower. That, that's not the question. We had it shed on the midnight express and it shed on Tully and I, that we had just went out and in a competitive match tore the joint down and now you're just going to squash me, you know, just like I'm a, a guy that showed up that works at Piggly Wiggly during the week, you know, and uh, that it all was snowballed into pay-per-view payoffs that never came to fruition. There were so many things that happened that just weren't right. And if you wrote them down on the paper and looked at them, reasons we left, if you took down everything, it wouldn't be hard to believe that those guys were getting the shaft. And, uh, you know, we all remember bits and pieces of things, but there was a lot of things that were very clear that happened right before we left. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, you dropped the belts that night and, uh, so your old pals, the midnight express. And I think fans were pretty excited about what that could have been. It was cut short, but now there's a, a new experience, the Titan experience, if you will, uh, Tully, when you find out, Hey, they're putting us with Bobby Heenan. That's got to be pretty exciting, right? That means you're going to be top guys. That was the the ingredient that was uh, very, very promising. Um, Bobby was a uh, longtime friend because my dad would bring Nick Bockwinkle down, and Bobby was Nick Bockwinkle's manager for all those years with uh, the AWA. And, uh, so it was, I've got, I'd got to know him a little bit, but, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a neat, neat experience. The, the thing that would have been probably a, a greater experience for us is if, if he would have worked with us every night, he worked with us on TV and big shows and, uh, he didn't travel with us during the week, uh, which was which was fine. I mean, Arn and I can certainly function without a manager, uh, but it would have been uh, uh, it, it just it might have it might have had a lot more entertainment backstage for us if he'd have been there all the time rather than just a TV. So you guys come in, you're put with Bobby Heenan. Very quickly, you're going to be in some pretty high profile matches. Uh, you guys are working with demolition and the heart foundation, but it feels like a much different presentation than working 
you know, down South, as they like to say in New York, uh, what was the difference in the tag team style that you used with say the midnights or the rock and rolls or the road warriors versus now you're with the rockers and the heart foundation and demolition. Was it same thing, just a different style ring or was it totally different? Tully? No, it wasn't totally different in my opinion. Uh, we just had to re-educate the guys that we worked with as well as uh, wrestling fans that the stuff was uh, – Vince never never really pushed tag teams. Right. And we had the opportunity to, to change that. And, um, and so it was – you know, I – we had we had great matches with the Rockers. I don't know that we had great matches with the Sheep Herders. <laughs> we had good matches with the Sheep Herders, but I don't know that they might have been great. Uh, the Heart Foundation, because of the people that were in it and the amount that they were over, we we did uh, we had we had good matches with them. We had uh, good matches with uh, demolition, and uh, but the the uh, the thing that everybody that worked for Crockett knew that they were going to be featured, and we would make them look better than they could make themselves look. And that was our reputation. It wasn't any question about it. And the people working for the New York office didn't have that. I don't know that they had ever had the anybody worry about their stuff rather than everybody worried about their own stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Arn, did I hit that nail on the head or? Yeah. The biggest thing right off the get go is they said, we don't want you doing this hmm. day one, go to the ring. Do not do this. And I think it was Jack Lanza. So we weren't created. That wasn't created through their company. They didn't want it. We were starting over the, the blessing was they didn't give us some terrible costuming, some goofy catchphrases, uh, goofy costuming. We were pretty much the horseman with a different name. And, uh, that was the main thing I was worried about. And, uh, you know, Vince even said one time, he said, you guys, you know, you guys lend credibility to my company, which was the biggest compliment that he ever gave us. Uh, but we, you know, the one thing we did have to learn, is they had a definite pecking order there and teams were positioned underneath in the middle top teams. And what was not appreciated was from the get go, whether it was Roma and powers or whoever it was, we went out and tried to have too good a match and we were still learning. Hey, apparently I was still learning because I thought going out, having the best match possible. So did Tully was the right thing to do, but not with, guys there were certain teams that you know if demolition worked with them they just ate them up 
And uh, we made a couple of mistakes early about selling too much for certain teams who had been beaten to death. Barry Darso grabbed me the first curtain, you know, first time I came, we came through the curtain and he goes, come with me over here. He says, man, cut out all those bumps. We don't do that up here. Well, I figured it out the next day because that ring was hard. It was bigger and it was harder. And buddy, if you're going to wrestle as many times as those guys did, and I would soon learn how much they traveled, how many skipping across the country and around the world for that matter on those planes, you didn't go out there and have a four-star match some nights just wasn't supposed to be. And, uh, it's all stuff that we picked up pretty quickly. Um, and obviously having Bob, all he had to do was just look at the crowd and they started the weasel stuff. Piece of cake. Arn, you and Brock are everywhere. On the road, wrestling conventions, autograph shows, making appearances. You have the comic book. You need energy. You need AG1. Just one scoop and it gives you 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals. I'm talking improving your gut health, sleeping better, improve focus, What's not to like, this is a slam dunk, and better yet, you're going to sleep better and recover better. It costs less than $3 a day. It's completely worth the investment in you, and it's received 7,000-plus five-star reviews. Right now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. It's so simple. No need for a million different pills and supplements. And to make it easy, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit drinkag1.com forward slash ARN. Again, that's drinkag1.com forward slash ARN to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah. Tully, when you guys were up there, you know, one of the, the things we've talked about with Arn is how brutal the travel schedule was compared to when you worked for Crockett. Can you give us a glimpse into what that schedule looked like? Because we've heard from you a lot on like old WWE DVDs where you talked about the crazy horseman lifestyle where you guys would wake up here, do the show, fly to Vegas, party all night, fly back the next morning, do another show, fly back to Vegas this crazy jet setting line, but now man, you're on 6am flights all over the world, right? Oh gosh. It was, <laughs> if there was an earlier flight, you were on the earlier flight <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh my gosh, it was, uh, it was crazy. And we, we were on, uh, 14 day tours. We were supposed to be 14 on, three days off, three day, five days on, three days off, 14 on, and like that. But it seemed like we were on 14, off three days, on 14. 
but you had to not only did you have to fly home on your first day off of your three days so it seemed like they did it on purpose we were either in vancouver or portland oregon i remember one time we were up in nova scotia which is a three-hour flight to boston flying back to charlotte and then you had to buy your own ticket to get home and then when you you depending on where your your tour started you had to fly out either the night i i i think we flew out the night before so you really your three days off are really a, a day and a half off but we might have flew out on on monday i i mean on uh, on the the morning of our of our next show i don't i don't really remember it's it has been a while yes it has been a while and uh, <laughs> i hope when you guys had to buy your own airline tickets you had extra cash kicking around tell me when did you realize hey man this might not be all it's cracked up to be uh, i'm not saying i necessarily want to run back and work for jim crockett promotions but thankfully that's not a thing anymore <laughs> burner's running the show but i don't know what i got to do but i got to get off this crazy train of working for vince mcmahon and being in a different town every single day yeah, well, I mean, we were in a different town every every night, basically, with the other company, too. But the private planes made it a little bit easier flying yeah. home and uh, uh, that kind of stuff. But it, it was uh, it was hard work wrestling, you know, every night. But that but that's when the live audience was your product mm -hmm. and the TV show was the infomercial. And when that all changed, it, it changed the way the the business is. But it was, you know, I, I don't remember. I know when Arn and I wrestled the first time in the Garden uh, against the Midnight, not against uh, Rockers. the Rockers, the Rockers. Um, we had to go 20 minute time limit match and the, probably the biggest major tactical error that I ever did was when I came back through the, the curtain, Hogan looked at me and said, what do I, what am I supposed to do now? And I said something smart, Alec, and uh, don't remember exactly what it was, but we were never on. We were never on before the main event ever again. We were never on another Hogan card ever again. Oh. And, uh, but it was, they were running three towns a night. We became the main event guys in the third towns. And the third town started making money instead of losing money. Wow. So it was, it, you know, I mean, it wasn't a bad thing, but we were making the same money we were making for Crockett. So it was a lateral move. Right. And, uh, you well, know, so a private plane now. Yeah. Yeah. But it, and, and the horseman Crockett did fly the horseman first class when they were on commercial flights, which that was roasty toasty and, and, uh, a good thing. But, uh, you know, so it, it was just a thing where, you know, they, they, they reached out, uh, 
after Turner bought Crockett, they reached out to us. No, no, I I called. Arn, wasn't it? Wasn't it? We called when we were in Denver. I don't remember where we were. Um, we'd we'd wrestled in Sacramento the night before and drove back to San, to uh, San Francisco to catch a flight to Denver, and we had talked about uh, going calling them and asking if they want to put the horsemen back together. And so the next morning, I think it was Denver, may not have been, but I called up and asked for Barnett. And I said, uh, Jim, I said, do you want to put the horsemen back together again? And uh, he said, I'll call you back in five minutes. And the phone rang and he, he didn't say anything other than, $750,000 each for three years. And uh, I said, okay. And I did I call you or were you in the room with me, Arn? Uh, I think you called me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was more money than I had ever thought about making. And we agreed to it. And uh, spent the next three months trying to get out of New York. And Arn tells the story that you... Uh went and tried to have a conversation with Vince and Vince basically said, you know, stick with me. And I feel like you had heard that sort of song and dance before with Crockett. Uh, and you, you try to do that, but then ultimately wind up making the decision. We do need to go ahead and leave. How do you remember that going down? Tully? Um, yeah, I, 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 it's all kind of a mishmash because that's all in that, that, that process when, uh, in, in that process, we'd given the notice and then he made a big deal about us staying for survivor series. Uh, cause we were on, uh, Arn, uh, we were on Andre's team. And, uh, so it was so on and so forth. And then, and then I, that's when I flunked the, the urine test, uh, in Philadelphia, but they didn't tell me until a week and a half later after we had done the TV because they wanted to beat me up on TV. Mm. And uh, so I thought that was good. But uh, but anyway, but that's, uh, you know, it, it's it's and, and I, I I got to say it on on Jericho's podcast, but that's the only thing. You know, I, I don't have a problem with me not being in the business. My life has has been fine my my only and i have very few regrets in life but when when my drug test affected arn that broke my heart and uh you know he had to make some decisions uh and uh it 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 was not a stellar moment for me and uh uh it was I mean, I, I didn't even get high. All I did was lick the inside of a bag. <laughs> I wish I had got. I wish I had got hammered. <laughs> I think uh, in my my quick research, you guys were at a wrestling challenge taping in Wichita, Kansas, at the Kansas Coliseum, November first, nineteen eighty nine. Yep, uh, that's that's when it all sort of came to a head. We, uh, we recently visited, uh, Arn and I have a, a little thing we got going called adfreeshows.com. It's like a, 
a super site for behind the scenes stuff on all of our podcasts that we work on. And we caught up with Jim Hurd. And uh, Jim Hurd, of course, is, is one of the guys who's controlling things for Turner when you guys were supposed to make the jump back. And ultimately, he reneged on the deal that he had, not only for Arn and, and reduced the pay, but I guess he sort of helped end your wrestling career, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't. They, they, they used it as leverage on Arn and didn't offer me anything. And I, just so you know, I'm the very first professional wrestler ever to flunk a, a drug test and not go back to work. I mean, I think, uh, that's, what's been so tragic as a wrestling fan is I have to admit, I didn't really, you know, when all of this was happening, I was eight years old. So I was a little Hulkamaniac and didn't know anything or anybody, but when I get older and I go back and I look at tapes, I don't know, as a teenager. I start to have a newfound appreciation for the horseman. And then it just feels like one day in all of my tapes, where did Tully go? And then you pop back up on AEW, and everybody collectively looked at their arms and said, Oh, I just got chill bumps. Where has this guy been? And it is one of the great, like missed opportunities as a fan. Like we were robbed of a really, really great run as a fan. I can't imagine how, and I'm so thankful to hear that you did have a great life and it worked out so well for you and it's a happy ending and has a great story. But as a fan, I can't help, but be a little miffed that we missed some really, really good years. Well, I was, I was miffed for, for a while, especially when I, I couldn't pay my house payment and, and couldn't pay my car payment. And I was, I was a little miffed too. So <laughs> in hindsight, you know, it all worked out the right way, but, you had to carry a lot of, uh, hard feelings for a long time. Do you place most of that blame on Vince McMahon, Jim Hurd, or did you just get to a place where you said it's on me? I did it. It is what it oh, is. It's, well, I mean, I, I'm the one that, that made the stupid idiotic, uh, decision. Um, and you know, so, I mean, it's, you can't, the, you can't put the blame on anybody else about your life. Right. You know? I mean, the only thing in the whole deal, Arn can blame me for being an idiot, but you know, Arn's been, came out of life as very successful, but it was hard f for him just to take the friggin' pay cut that, that heard hammered on everybody. Uh, you know, but all in all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change what I did because that's how I met Christ. Right. And that that whole night when flair called me and told me they found about about the drug test and they're they're not going to offer you the deal they reneged on the deal was the night at 403 in the morning when i when i asked jesus to come into my life and it was the first time i'd ever said the name jesus when i wasn't cussing somebody right and uh so from that point you over the next 3 4 5 years when I was learning how to uh, walk with the Lord, how I was learning how to forgive, how I was learning how to not hold grudges, I mean, that, that was a daily chore. And, uh, but as, as I'm now 30 years past the deal and pinching myself because 
gosh, I'm on TNT. Right. <laughs> it all worked out. Uh, Arn, I'm curious, you know, we, we haven't, you, you sort of just, uh, been a bystander here for the last several minutes of our conversation. Did it fracture your and your relationship with Tully for a bit when all of this happened and you uh, got some, caught some shrapnel as a result? Well, like he said, you know, everybody makes mistakes. A guy flunks a drug test. He goes home for 90 days. He's back. Right. Uh, people will tell you a lot of things, of things about me, you know, smart ass, indignant, uh, what have you, but, I, I've never been called a liar or a swerver because I've never felt the need to do that. Um, and the thing that bothered me the most is we went to work on a handshake deal with Vince McMahon. The reason we left is at the point in the fiscal year, we were $50,000 behind what we had made for Crockett. We called it to his attention, gave him the opportunity to make it right, just catch us up to where we were, and we'll go forward. He said, give me to the next TVs to think about it. In good faith, we went out every night and busted our ass and still gave his product everything we had. Three weeks later, we walked in. He said, well, guys, I've looked it over. I can't write you both a check for 50 grand. I just can't do that, so I'm going to let you work your notice out. So, you know, when you lose faith again, when you get lied to again, uh, then the deal comes up, you know, that we have that is, you know, Rick was one of the guys that was in there and, and going to back for that uh, deal too. So now I get to Atlanta with no forewarning and I walk in, sit down with Jim Hurd and he says, I got some bad news, Arn. It just, it was just this, just, just this uh, callous. He said, uh, you know, Tully flunked the drug test, and quite frankly, you guys are not worth as much as a single. You're not worth as much as a single as you guys were worth as a team. So I'm going to have to cut your money off the three years, you know, hundred grand a year uh, or whatever it was, 150 grand, whatever, whatever it was. Uh, it went down to 156, 200, 250, whatever the math is on that. So he said, and, and I can see on your face, you're disappointed. So if you want to go back to Vince, I understand. Now, that's the stupidity that I've left Vince McMahon, who he did use us well. It was a question of dollars and cents. Right. Uh, you know, I left there to come here, and already the guy is, is hitting me with that shot, which tells me he knows nothing about our business nothing about humanity, nothing about being a leader of a company, you know, of all those big contracts they were handing out and he had to, you know, chop mine off like that. And, uh, I went, Mr. Hurd, I, I don't think you understand. I just worked a 90 day donors. You don't just turn around and walk in the door with a tail between your legs and say, can I come back? You know what his answer would have been? Yeah. I'm glad to have you back. I'd have been beat by every sparrow that was flying around the building the next day. 
or maybe a lizard that was crawling up the wall, they would have figured out a way to beat me with that guy. You just don't do that. And uh, that was the thing that just infuriated me. I hadn't done anything wrong, done everything right by everybody. And you still get it shoved up your ass. It's a little tough pill to swallow. Tully, over the years, you flirted with the idea of uh, doing more stuff in wrestling. I think uh, we saw you at that Legends Wrestling pay-per-view, cut a great promo against Stan Lane, and you looked as good as ever in the ring. And once upon a time, I think you thought you might try your hand as being an agent maybe with WWE. But ultimately, it wasn't ever really the right fit until AEW. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, I, I, I started in my life as doors would open in front of me. I would not prematurely say, no, I'm not going to do it. So I would go towards the, the door. But my prayer was, if this is not something I'm supposed to do, for God to shut the thing. And so when I went up to New York uh, for a two-day deal, I mean, they weren't even offering me a job because when you get offered a job, they offer you dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, you know, you get paid this for this amount of work. And uh, and so I was just there for for two days to kind of, and I don't really know what it is, but they never offered me anything. They, they did fly me up there and I left there immediately for, uh, we were doing a prison event in North Florida in the panhandle, Mariana. And, uh, I said, well, I know that that's not going to happen. And, uh, so I figured my entrance in the wrestling business, other than autograph shows or or something like that was over with at that point. And, uh, then I don't, I, I got in shape to go do uh Fujinami's retirement match, uh, which I was never in Japan. So, I mean, that was kind of, of a neat little, little trip over there. Sure. And, uh, but you know, it, I'd had very, very little, uh, involvement in the wrestling business until, they they called and they put the four horsemen in the in the hall of fame which was a a, a nice trip and uh uh which i was kind of going with what vince's relationship was with us don't, never really understood that but uh certainly am glad that i was part of it and, uh, and my children were all born after my wrestling career and all four of my kids were able to be there in Miami when we, when we were there. So that was, that was a very neat deal. And, uh, so all good stuff. It is good stuff. How was your, I'm curious, how was your conversation with Vince after all those years when you went back into the hall of fame? Well, there really wasn't any conversation with Vince. I know that. We went and took a, took a picture with him in his in his dressing room, yep. which I have on the wall. Him holding up four fingers that's that's cool. that's 
Yeah, that's a, that's a, a pretty good one. And then you got Triple H and Shawn Michaels holding up four fingers and another one. I have that picture up too. Um, but it was, uh, you know, I, I can remember we were standing in the hallway, I think, and Vince was addressing, I think, all of us. And he said, some of you guys uh, absorb all this that's going on because you won't ever be back. And I kind of took it that he was talking to me. So, because everybody weird. else has gone back. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say, is it not? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm curious, have you, uh, since the, the, when you left Jim Crockett promotions back in 88, have you talked to Jimmy Crockett since? Uh, yeah, I saw Jimmy, uh, uh, was, he was going to put some sort of a TV thing back together. Um, like 93, I th right? I think so. Yeah. And, uh, uh, he wanted me to come and help do that. And, uh, and then that didn't last very long. Did you ever officially meet Jim Hurd in person? Or just over the phone. I don't know that I ever met or talked to Jim Hurd. The guy that made the offer was Jim Barnett. Right. When when we were on the road. Uh I I don't think I've I ever met Jim Hurd. Wow. And I know there's rumor and innuendo out there, and Arn, I don't think me and you've ever talked about this, but when Paul Roma became a horseman, supposedly they were in negotiations with you, Tully. Is that the way that actually happened, or is that just dirt sheet stuff that became? No, wrestling? no, no, no. They were what <clears throat> Oli, I think, was the booker at the time. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know. I think they contacted me, and I said, okay, I, I don't know if it was a money thing or not but there was not a, really a job offer, but they kept insinuating that I would be there on TV. I sent a registered letter to their office to let them know that I wouldn't be there because they hadn't negotiated any money or anything like that. And, and I, I literally sent that. And then it's the only pay-per-view that I've ever bought. I bought that to, see how they would explain me not showing up. And uh, it was probably as big a flop of anything because the fans were expecting me to come out. Yeah. And Paul Roma came out, and it really wasn't fair to him. No. But the, the audience didn't like it at all, I don't think. Arn, what do you remember about that? No, uh, I was excited that I had heard he was coming back. You know, uh, I never asked what anybody makes. Right. It's none of my business. Uh, all I'm concerned with is what I make. Yeah. And uh, I just heard there was a stall. No one was specific. I know that it had already been put out there and uh, – that Tully was coming back and there's, let's just face it. You know, nobody was in second place. You could have brought 
Hulk Hogan out there and put him in that spot, it would not have been received like it would have been with Tully. Right. And it, and it wasn't fair to Paul. He was put in a ridiculous situation. Uh, and it just started to go downhill. Every concoction, every, you know, every version of the horseman from that day forward just started to get used less and less and devalued. And it was just a placeholder on the card. And it was basically the only thing it was over anymore was the name. That was it. That and this, you know, the group was not over. We weren't used in a capacity that we could get over. Because uh, we were just, you know, midway to, to first match after intermission. And uh, when you get uh, bumped down the, the ladder, I guess you could just say, the fans know it and they see it. And now you're a middle guy. You're not a top guy anymore. And uh, that's basically what happened. Well, we're all top guys for getting to listen to this today. It's so cool to catch up with you guys and uh, just listen to you talk about your shared experiences. Kelly, any final words before we wrap this up, man? I just want to tell you as a fan, I still absolutely love seeing you on Wednesdays. I know most of the time when you come back through the curtain, you've got a really excited text message for me saying, that's the best promo of the year every time. Uh, you're hitting home <laughs> runs out there, man. And we, Well, I appreciate it too. Well, it's, it's good uh, stuff, man. It's so great to see you back. Well, thank you. And it's a thrill to be back. It really is. And uh, I hope the, the new wrestling fans uh, can get a, a little bit of a taste of what it used to be like. Well, you're making that happen. Arn, we're, uh, we're dropping this just a couple of days before Christmas. I guess today's Christmas Eve's Eve. You want to uh, send everybody home with uh, a happy Christmas song or something? Do you want to sing us out? No, no. Just would like to say, you know, guys, take this opportunity to just stay home with your family. You know, don't venture out, please. Don't travel. All the things that we're being told on the news every night, you know, let's get that turned around. I'm sick to death of bad news. We try to bring you, you know, some relief from, from bad news because that's all we hear every single night. And let's do our part, you know, wear your mask, do your distancing, wash your hands, you know, don't go in gatherings where a bunch of people that you don't know. It's just stupid. You know, let's help those nurses and doctors who have given their lives basically to us to help fight this thing off. Let's at least do them the honor of doing what they request. Everybody have a happy uh, holidays. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, whatever your thing is, just enjoy it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you after first of the year. Thanks for being with us this entire year. Thank you for all your support. And hey, thanks for tuning in today. And don't forget tonight to watch AEW live on TNT. Uh, it's going to be a great show. And uh, we're so thankful to have two big contributors to that show today, Mr. Tully Blanchard and Mr. Arn Anderson. Mr. Blanchard, can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for taking time with us today. Thank you, Conrad. Merry Christmas. So long, everybody. Can I do it? You know you can. I got it. I've got this down. Tully's going, what the hell's wrong with these guys?
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.